Kia this program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Wellington Access Radio, make your voice heard. Kia Wellington. Welcome back. B-Side Stories, Wellington Access Radio, 106.1 FM. I'm Laura. Laurie, kick us into the second half of the show. I'm so keen to hear about water in Wellington. Who is championing our freshwater systems in Wellington? Well, Stu Farrant, who is with us in the studio today, has certainly got to be one of them. He is an ecological engineer for Amorphum Environmental, the chair of Vaitua Committee, and has just has been awarded a 2018 Winston Churchill Fellowship, looking at how cities around the world are getting more connected with their water. Stu, welcome to B-Side Stories and Access Radio. Thank you, Laurie. Good to be here. Great. Well... What has got my little my little brain, I don't want to say my little brain, but my <laughs> mind thinking was that recent article on how we have Inanga and Whitebait living in Wellington's underground piped water system. I didn't know we had, well I did kind of, but actually we've got this piped water system and we're not connected to it. How, how did we get that? How did, how did our water come to be there? Yeah, well, that's a good question. I guess as Wellingtonians, we're all pretty connected to our harbour and our green belt up in the hills, and, and, and we sort of think that we're in a pretty good space environmentally. But the reality is that the section in between the green belt and the harbour is, is not such a, such a happy story, I guess. And it, it goes back to how cities all around the world develop, where we, we come and live, and we typically live next to waterways mm. because they provide resources and they provide... Um, amenity and, and transport and things, right. um, but soon that, that sort of bites us as we get bigger and we discharge pollution into the waterways and they start to flood and things. And so the, the traditional way to approach that is really to put things in pipes and it's really just a, a, a safety uh, mechanism and it disconnects the, the community from that, that water and, and gives them a sense of safety in terms of disease. And then over time we develop wastewater treatment plants and water supplies and things like that. And before we know it, the streams are flowing in the stream in the uh, in the pipes, and the community has has sort of forgotten that those streams ever existed. But you're quite right. In Wellington, there's a number of streams which used to be ecologically and culturally really sensitive that now just run under our feet through the city, and and no one knows they're there. Can you name our beautiful streams that we do not know? Yeah, well, I guess most people probably know of of uh, Waitangi Stream. Well, Waitangi Park yes. um, down at the bottom end there, so that that runs that drains all of Newtown up past the zoo, um, down through down through Newtown Adelaide Road and down Kenton Cambridge Terrace, and uh, drops out down by Clyde Key there. There's then um, Waimapihi Stream, which which comes in and starts up in Upper Pole Hill, wow. um, at at the top of Holloway Road there, and, and that's a beautiful stream that's well worth going and walking mm. in the top there. But again, it drops into a pipe and flows down through the city underneath the Z Energy Station there and. And that drops out at um, at Taranaki Wharf, where, where everyone right. loves to the bomb, loves to jump bomb diving. Exactly, yep. exactly. Um, then another one that jumps to mind is Kumatoto, which starts up by Victoria University, um, and that flows down. and, and There's a, a really nice little open section down near the tennis courts, um, and then it flows out um, by Nakina, uh, Michael Tuffery's sculpture down there on the waterfront. Right, beautiful. And, and then we obviously can't forget Kaifarafara Stream, mm. which is which is the jewel in our crown. Exactly. Um, and and I, I mentioned before that, that ironically I had my first visit to the mouth of that, that stream today. Mm. What are the 
ecological and environmental, well, what are the environmental challenges that, that our streams are facing, you know, being part of our city, even though we can't see them? Yeah, you know, I was just going to say, other than being within pipes, which obviously has a whole lot of problems, mm. um, there's the contaminants that get into them. And so as we develop our cities, we've obviously um, created roads and roofs and, and hard surfaces, mm. and they accumulate contaminants, um, and they also get really hot during summer, and they also change the way the water flows. So now... Um, when we have periods in, in, in summer where it doesn't rain for a couple of weeks, there's a big build-up of, mm. of heavy metals and you know, what are called hydrocarbons that come from, from vehicles and also just general muck from, from you know, dog poo and the likes. Um, and then when it rains, that's all flushed really efficiently um, and, and sweeps off, cleans the roads and into the, into the drains that you see on the side and right. into, into either the open streams or into the pipes. That, that nearly had me in tears. I don't know if you can hear. Look, Laura's <laughs> face is, is not looking too happy. So th that's quite a devastating view, and, and more so because we can't actually see it. I, I guess in the case of Kaifara, not, not at the entrance way, but we do have a bit of contact with Kaifara, Fara stream along the way. Mm. But what is it that an everyday person could do to, I mean, I guess, how do we get connection with our water in yeah. Wellington? How do, how do we do that? Yeah, well, I guess the first thing is to sort of you know, recognise that, that no one did this on purpose and we're not, you know, it's, not a, it's not a bad and good and us and them sort mm. of thing, but we're, we're here and now in, in 2019 and, and we've all sort of got a role to play in it. Um, so there's, there's lots of small things in terms of you know, connecting and understanding with where the water goes when it goes into those mm. drains on the side of the road. And you may find that's into a really nice, either a, an open stream or it's something that upstream of you, there's, there's a beautiful stream in those enunga and... And, um, and other native fish are, are using that to get through. Um, I guess understanding that when things go into the drain, they are going into a stream or into the harbour, yeah. and so you, know, you still see people washing out paint tins and pouring it into, <coughs> into drains and things. Um, but I think for me, one of the biggest things is just recognising that there's quite a bit of change that's needed right. if, we want to, if we want to fix things, and that change is, is both hard and quite expensive, right. but it is possible to, to turn around, and so understanding that there's... There's some sort of big challenges ahead, I guess. Mm. And so are you meaning infrastructure-wise? Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Um, you know, in the existing cities, there's obviously infrastructure in place. And so as we redevelop um, areas of the city, whether it be new roads, you know, refurbishing roads right. or, or redeveloping buildings and intensifying and things, that's a point in time that you can really do things quite differently with regards to right. how those surfaces manage water. Um, obviously, in new development areas like our suburbs and things like that, it's it's actually much easier to do. But traditionally, we haven't really done that um, particularly well in Wellington. So we need to change the way we do that. But also, just just changing that infrastructure in the um, in the cities and yeah. With your Winston Churchill Fellowship. You've been overseas looking at different cities, and, and as we know, Wellington's got a real uh, pressure on growth, and, and as we said, just that's going to impact on our infrastructure. But also, what are some of the examples that you've seen that you you know get you excited and think that Wellington could ad adopt these? Yeah, well, I guess there's lots. I was, I was lucky enough to, to travel to Europe and Scandinavia and the west coast of the States, and saw lots of things that are certainly easily translatable here. Right. Um, really, it's it's about embracing sort of greenery and and keeping water in the landscape, um, right. even in the in the inner urban areas, um, and really prioritising that as a as a driver as you do change your city. 
Um, it's about managing um, flooding and, and understanding that whilst climate change um, you know, creates a whole lot of challenges, yes. it also has sort of opportunities to, to manage that water in terms of the flood water within our urban spaces and connect people with the whole cycle because there's not much that we can do in the short term about um, stopping these changing weather patterns that we're all subjected to. Um, and really just embracing, um, I guess, you know, planning rules and, and financial incentives and different financial mechanisms to drive things like increased use of green roofs, right. which you know, New Zealand is, is really lagging in that space. Um, I don't really know of a green roof from Wellington. There are a few tucked away in places. Right. Um, they're, they're often a bit more architectural rather than actually serving a, a purpose. A, a, a purpose. Um, and it's often, I often hear that, you know, Wellington can't do that because of our seismic challenges, but... You know, cities like San Francisco, where they've mandated green roofs in the in the CBD. Right. Uh, you know, they're staring down the barrel of some fairly large seismic risks as well. Um, similarly, Portland and Seattle and right. so forth. So they have to, if they are building, they have to have a green roof as part of that. Yeah, like in, in San Francisco, um, there's an option. You can either have um, photovoltaics or a green roof. So they're sort of... Okay. They're, they're sort <laughs> one, of, it's one a, or other. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a battle of the sustainability initiative. Great. Um, and yeah, in, 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 uh, in Portland, there's requirements to have green roofs on um, new inner city buildings over 10 storeys, I understand. Um, and really just incentives. So you, know, you, you pay a, a tax, if you like, for the amount of impervious surface. So, so surfaces that don't allow water to pass, you pay a tax based on how much of that is on your property. So if you make a green roof, you don't have to pay that, that right. tax. So it's really a, an incentive to do things yeah, differently. That's good. Yeah. And so the green roof, can you explain how, for our listeners, that, that, that supports the changes that we've got ahead and supports water in, in, our, in the cities? Yeah, well, it's really about capturing the water. So it's, a, you know, it's essentially a, a soil with, with plants on top of your building. Yep. Um, and, so, and that can either be a really nice place and you can encourage people to hang mm. out there or, or they can be you know, just, a, just a space that's left there and, and, um, and no one actually goes up there. But they, they capture the water, so when you get a small rainfall event... No water will run off that building. It will right. stay on that on that roof and, and be absorbed into the soil and then taken up by the plants. Um, and you know that has benefits in terms of the um, the, the hydrology, yep. which is the, the flow of water into the into the streams and things. Yes. Um, and also captures airborne <coughs> airborne pollutants that right. yeah are actually quite a big a big problem. It makes massive sense. I it do. does. It does. <laughs> and and, 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 and so terms... easy, really. Yeah, we've yeah. got the plants. Yeah, yeah, we do, and 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 I guess as a city, yeah, we obviously understand biodiversity, and we're pretty keen yeah. on on biodiversity. And these are these are little wee islands, you know, refugia through a city. So, yeah, things like the insects and birds and things can mm. use them. So, but but and equally, the they can be yeah. you know, productive places where people grow you know, vegetables and things, um, yeah, you know, or just really nice places to hang out and have rooftop bars or whatever. It's it's uh, yeah, the actual design of them is is secondary to their to their function. Yeah, um, I'm actually getting very excited just thinking about this. Oh, it's almost like a, a jungle city. Yeah. Can you see that, Laura? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if you could, what what are the, the vision? I mean, actually, just coming back to household use quickly, um, we have so much water, and I, you know, rushed off and got the, the water tank, you know, yep. like I was advised, and that, that sat there for the last three, five years with stagnating water that um, hopefully um, will be available in, in the event of an emergency. I won't come around to your place. For no, 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 no. 
But I, I guess there's so much water coming from the rain, and I hear that the water that we're using statistics are off the charts. Yep. Um, how, how easy is it for us to adopt a, just a simple rainwater collection system for each household? Yeah, well, really easy. And, um, it's and called buckets. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've, we've, we've got the perfect climate for that. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the crazy thing. And so you know, countries like Australia have been really proactive with, with rainwater mm. harvesting. And, and whilst that's been really useful during drought times, it was actually driven by environmental you know, considerations in the first right. instance. And that's often used as, oh, well, you know, they do it because they've got droughts. But in reality, it's actually really hard to harvest rainwater if you've got a dry climate. Yeah, we've got a wet climate with pretty consistent rain, so mm. it's, it's really, really easy. Um, but we've got to move away from where we just harvest rainwater and use it to, to water our veggie garden you know, with, a, with a watering can like you've probably got, and yep. so you, you end up never using it. Yeah, so they need to be plumbed into houses and used for, for, for things like Actual, flushing toilets and, yep. and washing um, laundry and things, because at the moment... So that is the barrier... That, that actually we need to connect it into our into our system. Yeah, I mean, there's there's very little barrier other than just perceived and, and inertia, mm. and 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 I think it goes back to understanding because depending on where you live in Wellington, um, at the moment, um, your water may have come from the Hutt River right up at Timarua, been treated through a treatment plant, piped down over the Haywards Hill, up through Potirua, up through Tawa, up to somewhere like Newlands, and then you flush it down the toilet. And so there's a big energy footprint with that, and there's a just a logic footprint. I think is uh, you know it doesn't yeah you know, it doesn't make much sense for, for for so much effort and energy and resources to to deliver what what you know, is currently falling from the sky. Exactly. So we're actually so if we put our running shoes on and and I was a woman in Africa trying to look after my children, I would be going all the way out to Timaroa to to collect my water to bring it home. That's really the example that we're we're looking at to wash it down the toilet. Yeah. I don't think I'd be treating my water like that if I had no, walked no. twenty no, well that's... actually it'd be forty five Ks yeah. to get it. Yeah, that's exactly right. So it's yeah, it yeah, it, yeah there's there's a strong case just on, on... Mm. Yeah, common sense alone. So are we looking like those changes, will they come to Wellington in the near future? Yeah, well, you'd have to think so. I mean, there's a, there's a whole lot of realisation in New Zealand um, mm. around environmental um, issues and cultural issues as well. And, mm. and water's pretty central to all of that. Um, and so there's a whole lot of policy that's, that's driving things. And unfortunately, we do seem to need regulation to kick us along yes um but what you'd hope is what you see overseas where where people start to do things because they have to but then there's actually a, a sort of a market benefit in it so a developer that that you know, integrates water into their into their development it becomes a, a selling point and a, and a good outcome and you know everywhere i've sort of been overseas you know there is a strong business case for doing things better awesome. as well as the the sort of regulatory approach right excellent and actually there was a good example of a wellington business that is supporting recycled water use i love that stew looks at me <laughs> <laughs> tell me more uh, the gentleman who was working with downer yeah okay um, yeah, yeah 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 so that's um that's a, a commercial property owner um paul robinson who who owns properties that yes. that you know, he he lets um, but but understanding that there's a, a, a sort of a, I guess a business um, 
a business necessity to and responsibility, I guess, is the word that I was looking for. So a business responsibility to manage your own properties in a way that that has a, a positive effect. So he's he's looking at ways um, beyond re, um, regulation and things, and how he can work with his tenants and work with the council and things to to actually reduce the impact that those sites have on the um, on the environment. Great. And and what might he be out of percentage of um, property owners in Wellington? Yeah, look, I'd, I'd be hazarding a guess, but I think it'll be fairly low. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. We've always got one to start with. Okay, so our water, we're, we're also understanding that culturally there's a real shift in, in understanding how precious it is to us. What is the vision for how we might look, what our relationship might look like with water, with our water in the future? Yeah, look, I'm, I'm an optimist, but um, I, I see it as being quite different to what it is today. I see our city being being a lot more greener, um, and and really having a lot more biodiversity within it. But in doing that, it's also a lot more resilient um, to to sort of climate and and heat, and and things like that, which are sort of knocking on our back door. Um, and and really, it's it's connected everyone with where they are. So so you know, if you live within the Waimapihi catchment, you know that you live within the Waimapihi catchment. And ultimately, we might get to the stage where we can start to daylight some of these streams as well. Um, it's hard to daylight a stream if if it's currently essentially a drain. Mm. Um, but if we if we all sort of change the way we do things within a catchment, um, I'd like to see a day where we can start to return the streams to the surface and and sort of celebrate them as they should be. And Stu, can I jump in with a question? Um, what's going to happen to the inanga in our in our stream flowing under the city? What will happen to them in your vision of a better future for our water? Well, there'll be a lot more of them. Yeah. Because um, at the moment, it's it's re- quite remarkable. Our fish are, are, are truly quite remarkable in that they a migrate to the ocean as part of their part of their life cycle, come back to the same stream, and that there's some that are hardy enough to still get up there. So those stri- those those fish that they're finding in the pipes and also finding above the pipes are travelling, you know, two three kilometres and climbing up vertical things within the pipe network and making it up into places like Pole Hill and and, and, wow. and the like. But we can't use that as, as any measure of success because the numbers are pretty small. Mm. And so if we didn't have those obstructions in the way, you know, so it's only sort of survival of the fittest at the moment mm. and, and we can do better than that. Stu, that was um, amazing. I'm currently swimming or, or moving through all these waterways under our city in my mind and I'm seeing a, a greener... Uh, yeah, more resilient city, and um, I'd like to see our streams daylighted. I think it'd be lovely to trot to work and next to a stream. You could kayak to work. Yeah. <laughs> um, Stu, if people want to get hold of you to, to talk further about this, what is the best way to get in touch? Oh, just just tap me on the shoulder when I'm wandering <laughs> around the streams of Wellington. No, I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't know whether you put contact details on no. the, on the website or not. No, yeah, don't no. worry. Uh, we will. Um, yeah, if there's a guy you see wandering up a stream in his gumboots, <laughs> that's likely to be Stu, and you tap him on the shoulder. Kia ora, Stu. Thank you very thank you. much for your time and your vision today. That's really inspiring. Yep. No worries. Thank you. That program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Thanks New Zealand On Air for funding the Access Internet Radio Project.